Hello, my name is Prakash. I am from uh, Heartfulness Institute, Chennai. A while ago, we had met uh, some of the school principals and HODs to discuss about this topic which I am going to present about peaceful parenting. One of the principals asked me a very a poignant question. Prakash, don't you think that peaceful parenting as a word is an oxymoron? It really set me thinking because uh, obviously she has had the experience of uh, dealing with a lot of parents and knew exactly what she was talking about. An oxymoron typically is when the first word and the second word are exactly the opposite. Peaceful parenting is one of them. So that set me thinking and I went about searching to find what exactly is the root of the word. Parent is something many of us know because almost all of us are one in some way or another. The word peaceful, if we really look at it in a very normal way, it goes something like this. To be free from disturbance, True peace includes personal wholeness, righteousness, justice, prosperity for all creation. And then I went into the root of the word, or what we call as uh, etymology, where the word comes from some other word, and by studying that word, you get to understand what this word uh, might actually mean to you. There are several roots to the word, but the most uh, often used word for peace comes from the French word called pace, which means compact, agreement, treaty of peace, tranquility, absence of hostility, and harmony. And now when I looked at these uh, words, the etymology, it uh, gave me a glimpse as to what this uh, principle was wanting to convey to me. Oxymoron. Because Peaceful parenting is uh, almost a non-existent word in the school and college parlance as far as I understood later. And that again set me thinking and an area where Heartfulness Institute has done a lot of work. There are parents still who are well balanced. They have the poise and they are almost able to manage uh, all the facets of uh, parenting at and yet maintain a sense of equilibrium and peace or a harmony at home. So at Heartfulness Institute, we went about uh, studying this to find what exactly it would mean because it seems to be a pot boiler of a topic, a topic which never seems to run out of favor with uh, any school or college at any time to come, education being a perennial stream of learning for everyone. And parenting is almost today a full-time job. It's no more a part-time job, which was 20, 30 years ago. Today, literally, you are a full-time parent. Like a full-time job or a full-time employment, almost parenting is full-time. Hence, uh, we started uh, researching and finding out uh, a lot of stuff. In fact, research is not a, exactly the right word because research also stands for finding what already exists again. So we also, other than researching, went around finding out what exactly could be the other areas where we can actually add value to this uh, topic which would be of a great help to the entire society. So we studied and uh, came out with a lot of uh, insights. We split these insights into a few sections for you to uh, get a grip of. If you look at how the session is uh, structured, First, we intend sharing what exactly are the perspectives that parents and society and the teachers and the kids themselves actually have towards this topic. And then we moved about finding out what are the expectations that each of the stakeholder has. Each is a stakeholder in this entire uh, game. And once we understood the expectations, we looked at certain short-term solutions. If you look at uh, even if you have pain or something, when you go to a doctor, the first thing you want is a painkiller so that temporarily your pain is alleviated or there is a sort of a symptomatic relief. And then you look at the long-term solution. 
In this scenario, this is how we have actually bucketed to find out first, rather present, what are the problem or the pain points, where actually this emanates from, whether this really connects to what we all have experienced or continue to experience, and then see if we can actually present the root cause of these issues, look at what are the short-term and long-term solutions that we can actually offer. In that scenario, we looked at putting them into five buckets. If you look at this picture, which many of you might have come across in corporate life, the same set of cement blocks being seen from two different sides seems to yield a completely different perspective. One person thinks there are three cement bars and the other person thinks there are four cement bars. Depending upon from which side you actually see this, you will see that both the answers are actually right. This is a similar situation actually all of us go through in life. As a parent, as a teacher, as a person who belongs to the society or as part of the person who runs the actual school itself, we all have perspectives to this issue, parenting. We can keep on debating for months and years together and yet not arrive at any conclusion because each of the perspective that we hold is so dear to us that we think we are right and everybody else is wrong. And hence, whatever I present in the next 45 minutes or so is purely going to be based on the set of perspectives that we at Heartfulness Institute have gathered by interacting with several parents, stakeholders, schools, etc., etc., and see whether we can present something little bit out of the box, including certain short-term and long-term solutions. In that scenario, if you hear or find something which is being presented here not uh, exactly in the line of thinking that you have, please bear in mind there is somebody else who has been holding this view or who continues to hold this view about parenting. Hence this uh, sort of a disclaimer in the beginning. We looked at some of the stakeholders in this, uh, which is section one, as to the expectations of the stakeholders. There are several stakeholders, of course, uh, the parents, the students, the teachers, and the society makes uh, the big chunk of it. I'm going to show you, whenever I show this picture to parents, many of them tend to laugh, have a hearty laugh, in fact. Each one of us continue to go through this if we have someone at our home, our nephew, our niece, our uh, child who is in school, we expect them to excel in everything that is possible that exists under the sun. We want them to be scoring 95% or 99% in the marks. We expect them to be sports champion. We expect them to be mental champions in whatever they do. We expect them to crack all the IIT, JE exams and CAT exams and GATE exams and whatnot. And in short, maybe all that, that we were never able to do as parents. And hence, the child sort of gets uh, confused with the expectations that the parent uh, keeps uh, piling upon them. And that's what you see there, a huge pile of expectations from the parent, not really knowing if the child really wants to be there whether this is what the child has to go towards to, or are we even fair in expecting all this from our children? And then we spoke to the children who are the affected party in the process. We asked them, what are the challenges you face? And one of the perspectives they shared are the expectations that the teachers have towards them as children. If you really look at the laundry list out there, it's literally like a child being a role model in a school. Everything that is possible, the teacher uh, expects of the child. And there's just one dimension of what is expected of a child or an you know, adolescent in a school or a college. The expectations are a lot from the parents, from the relatives, from the siblings, from the neighbors, from the society in which they grow. A lot more than what you actually see on the screen. This is just to share one perspective of what the child goes through, because the teachers are the ones they are with in a school for at least six to eight hours when they are in the school or in the college. 
And now we look at the other side of the perspective. What do the teachers expect, other than from the children themselves, what do the teachers expect? They have a huge list of expectations from the parents. To such an extent, few of the parents we spoke to kept on saying that other than learning at my workplace, I have to learn physics, geography, history, all that which I never could master during my school days. Now I become such an expert because I go for tuition in my school, actually my son or daughter is in the school. Because when they come back, they will have a whole lot of things to learn as homework and I have to contribute, whether it's the mother or the father or both. They expect a lot from the parents because what we studied maybe 20 years ago in our graduation is now the syllabus in the 6th or 7th standard. The speed at which the syllabus is changing, the speed at which the students are expected to learn, all that has changed so much that uh, the parents now are almost co-creators when it comes to the educational curriculum. Gone are the days when, uh, as far as I remember my childhood, my mother or father never knew what my subject was, what I was, what was I scoring, what are the syllabus. The repeated thing I used to hear is that in my PUC days I scored so much, why are you scoring so less? Thank God he never had a you know, mark sheet copy. That's what my daughter or son today would say. Now the dynamics have changed. The expectations from the parents are so huge and the pressures of being a parent, even if it is just a single child that you have, is so much that it's as good as uh, doing maybe a PhD at home other than working and earning to maintain a material balance. If you look at the society as a stakeholder, the expectations are huge. Data is continuously thrown at the children that you are part of the 35% of the youth of India who are sub-30. You have to form the future of the government. You have to form the backbone of the country. You have to do this. You have to do that. We have to send you know, a shuttle to the moon, we have to send a shuttle to the space and you have to become the next Abdul Kalam, you have to become the next so-and-so, you have to be the next Sachin Tendulkar, all these the society starts putting. If you really look at it, finally, the two key stakeholders in this, topmost, there are others in the bottom of the pile, the topmost two stakeholders in this, on one side of course is the student who has to go through this, and second, the parents who have to be exemplary in the work that they do, be role models, keep on giving what the child expects, maybe beyond, and in the process also keep expecting a lot from the children. And it's a real pot boiler that you have on hand. No wonder in many of the houses that uh, tempers uh, run high and uh, peace is the last thing that we actually have or enjoy while we are at home. I've just put a slide here for you to look. Just as a parent, how many of you are aware of some of the current challenges that your children of the current age are going through in school? Other than the educational pressures that these children have, there are so many other pressures that these uh, children today have to go through, including predatory practices that prevail because of their exposure to social media which today it's almost a necessary evil, you can't uh, wash it away. You have classroom bullying, you have uh, pressures, you have uh, so many things. I still recall that in 10th standard when I came out, I, my mathematics teacher asked me to redo the paper all over again. I did it, he said, you are sure to score a centum. And the surprising thing is that I got uh, maybe 10 marks uh, lesser and uh, Apparently, one of the students who came out after writing the exam after me, he said, Prakash, I saw the invigilator taking a paper and striking off two of the answers. The reason was quite simple. I was bullied in the school because I was a class topper, school topper. And the moment I finished off my first four sheets, there were bullies in the classroom who just took the paper to copy and give it back to me before the bell rang that this is the final bell. And the invigilator being a weak person, he could not tell because many of these were uh, from a section of the society, literally they would have a knife in their hand. If not a knife, maybe a blade. And the only way he could take revenge was to take my paper because I gave the paper for them to copy. <laughs> Surprising the person who copied from me got 96 in 10 standard. And he didn't even know how to score A plus B whole square, for all you might know. And the threats have now only become worse. Online bullying, classroom bullying, 
and the pressures through the social media and all that the children face are enormous to such an extent because of the technology gap. Many of us do not even know the apps that they use, how they use, how they are actually uh, sort of uh, bullied on or uh, they have stalking done on the social media. We don't even know. And all this puts pressure on them tremendously and this in turn affects us also. This is for you to understand. I want you to look at this uh, picture for a while and ask yourself this question. Have you ever heard about the concept of indigo children? Are you aware what this might mean to your children at home? Are you sitting with one at your home today? We don't know. Just to give you an idea of what we are talking about, indigo children is something that came into vogue officially in the year 1998 when they spotted a child somewhere in USA, not that it had ex not existed before. They had spotted a child which had its third strand of the DNA open. This means a huge change in the way in which we look at bringing up children altogether. DNAs are the carriers of your uh, complete uh, past patterns of life, including your behavioral patterns and all that. Imagine a two-lane highway. You have a two-lane highway which is highly polluted, highly populated with vehicles to such an extent there is nothing new that you can do in these two lanes. Though there are possibly additional lanes available, anywhere between 12 and 21, depending upon which school of thought you believe in. And suddenly you find that there are people who are coming with additional uh, lanes open and these lanes are completely empty for them to start using them for several aspects, dimensions which we are not even clear. At the end of the session, if you want, you can go back and do a Google on checking what does uh, DNA mean, what does uh, indigo children mean, what does it mean to be a parent in case you have an indigo children. Recently when I was interacting with college children, I told them that for all you might know, majority of you in this crowd who are all uh, 2000 or later born, you may all be indigo children, which means the third or fourth strand for your children might be open. Rather, the children who are sitting there, the strands would have been open. This also means the way in which they think, the way in which they execute things, the way in which they actually process things are completely different from how we actually think as traditional parents. Imagine wanting to open a star screw with a flat screwdriver. You are likely to either break the screwdriver or the screw. And this is exactly what happens when we are interacting with our own children or children in the society who are what we call as indigo children. Science hasn't yet found a way to officially study and find out, though there are primitive methods still available to find if your child is indigo or not. There are certain characteristic behavioral traits that you can find. There are very raw scientific methods which also show how a child can be an indigo or not. Imagine if you are a parent to an indigo child, they are sometimes passed off as uh, dyslexia-based children, people with uh, attention deficiency disorders and ADD and whatever you want to call, and actually they might be something else. They might be geniuses hiding inside your house without your knowledge. Just because we don't know, we go and talk to them the way traditionally we talk. What do we talk? How was the class? How did you study? Did they cover the syllabus? Do you have any questions? Do you want additional uh, tuition to be done? Are you ready for the exam? And these students come back and ask you, Dad, exam is nothing but a way in which I vomit back what I have been asked to read the whole year. Is this the only way in which I have to be assist to find whether I am capable for this society or not. We don't have answers. I was recently reading a survey which was done by Harvard over a period of 30 years. This 30 years research was purely done on a few role models of the society, people like Albert Einstein, Newton, and including certain uh, modern day gurus and uh, affluent uh, people. What is that which actually made them different from what we are? Why is it that they are completely different? What is that which has made them better than what we are today? 
After about 25 to 30 years of research across several countries, caste, religions, backgrounds, languages, different status of the society, they found out something very startling which just came down to two simple elements. I am a little bit oversimplifying, but this is what the research paper finally showed. They said that there is absolutely no difference at the time of birth for any of these so-called great geniuses or exponents of life as compared to what we are. My brain was the same as Einstein's, the same as Isaac Newton's, the same as anybody else's. Maybe uh, Edison. But they found out the difference was in their ability to expand their consciousness at a rate which was much, much, much faster and more accelerated than anyone else. Which means their consciousness or the level of knowledge, level of being was continuously expanding much, much, much faster. Just to give you a day-to-day -day example, it's like having an iPhone 10 with you with an Android 2.0 or a 3.0 operating system loaded. Many of us are like that. Either the operating system will crash because of compatibility issues or it will work inefficiently because the hardware is very fast whereas the software which is loaded is very low or slow. Whereas these people had an iPhone 10 and they had an iPhone 10 operating system loaded including the apps which are compatible. The second aspect of the experiment which is extremely relevant to us in this topic of peaceful parenting they gave an answer as to why is it the consciousness was expanding much, much faster for these people, which was less than 1% of the entire society as compared to others. The only answer that they gave is these people kept asking pertinent questions throughout their lives and they continue to ask till their death. This apparently looks to be a no-brainer to many of us, but this is where the catch is for many of us being a parent. We might recall our own childhood when we were two or three or four, we kept on asking questions to our parents. Nine out of ten times our parents did not know the answer or for whatever reason they did not want to share the answer. And what are the response given to you? Shut up. Don't ask questions. And over a period of time the child was taught asking question was a rude behavior. It is not a done thing. Society does not accept. You are not considered as part of the society. Hence, to behave or to be accepted, just take whatever is given to you, don't ask questions. Hence, by the time they actually came to the school, they were already formatted and made ready for the teachers to lap it up as they say, because the child has already lost the art of questioning. Now they have literally become a video recorder or a tape recorder which is capable of reproducing at will or should be capable of reproducing at will at the time of examination. In many of the schools today, by October or November, they finish off the syllabus. Between October or November till the time of examination, the only thing the child goes through is last 10 to 15 years of question papers, which are repetitively solved again and again and again so that the whole thing gets into your brain. So at the time of examination, it's more a memory recall ability rather than actually sharing what is to be learned for them to become useful human beings. Hence they are very good literates but they are not educated. Let me come back as to why I am sharing all this. Hence when I am talking about an indigo child, I have seen and interacted with a few. Their ability to ask questions out of the box which can even flummox the most apparently learned scientists or doctors or engineers typically puts us off and hence what we do is we restrict them, we constrain them saying that uh, just be what you are expected to be, don't be what you are. And hence these people who can make the threshold changes that's needed for the society the next generation uh, changes are actually made to play at a very low level in life and we are peaceful but the children are not. Peaceful parenting does not mean that only we are peaceful. It's a harmony which means all the threads which come together to form this uh, fabric 
must be in harmony, which means the children, the parents, the people who are part of the society, the teachers and all that. Though we are only looking at one aspect of uh, the issue, which is the parents. Go back and study on this because bringing up indigo children in current context is not easy. They are thirsty for more, but they are thirsty for more in areas which we are not familiar. And hence we are extremely uncomfortable bringing them up because we don't have answers for anything that they ask. The only answer we can repeatedly give is either I don't know or shut up. These are only two things we can repeatedly say. This is one issue that I want you to bear in mind. To bring about positive and peaceful parenting, what do we have to do? This is what I want you to run through. The first thing is to set your uh, expectations uh, right. Prior to that, I just want to ask you a question. The question that you see here. Ask yourself a question and answer truthfully to yourself. We don't need to share. Are you an expected parent or are you an enabler parent? An expected parent is one who keeps on putting all their expectations on their children. Either the society is putting the pressure, the neighbors are putting the pressure, my parents are putting the pressure on me as grandparents and hence I put the pressure on them. Or all the failures I have gone through in life, I don't want my child to go through and hence I have expectation that you must do this, you must do that. Jokingly, one of the recent uh, movies I was watching, the dad says, I thought you would study and become an engineer, lawyer and a doctor. So the son says, dad, you have to be stupid. How can I become all the three? Likewise, we have so much of expectation that we forget it's impossible for a child to measure up to all this. The better option, this is not a solution, but this is something that I want you to think about. It's difficult but more productive to be an enabler. Every experience that I have gathered from parents whom I have met in this process of developing the context and the content for this presentation, those who have acted as enabling parents have had more challenging times while fulfilling those enabling questions and the answers that came forward from their children, but they found it to be productive and useful in the longer run. When I answer, or rather when I pose another question, some of the answers that you need may come through this, for this specific question I'm asking, but park this question in your head when you go back home, ask your child, ask your spouse, ask your parents, ask the stakeholders, how can I enable to allow your potential to fulfill to the maximum? In management parlance, there is something that we talk in motivational theory called as the Maslow's theory of hierarchy. There is considered to be a hierarchy of needs that a person goes through in life. At the bottommost pyramid, which is uh, symbolized by the shape of a pyramid, at the bottommost pyramid, it is called as hygiene needs or sustenance needs, which are predominantly about food, shelter, the basic physiological needs, safety needs, ego needs, and then it moves a little bit higher where it talks about self-esteem needs. But Maslow came about with the fifth uh, need on the top of the pyramid, which he called as the self-actualization needs. He found out over a period of six years of research, this happened way back in 1950s, he is a great uh, motivational researcher. He found out that very, very, very rarely, less than 0.5% of the population of the world ever reached the level of self-actualization. Self-actualization is when the man has fulfilled, man here meaning human being, has fulfilled the potential of what he is truly capable of, like what an Einstein is, what an Edison is, what Mahatma Gandhi was or whatever. The self-actualization as a process never happens because there is nobody around us to enable. Hence what happens is we are struck in the basic sustenance needs of just after a study is completed, what do you do? You put them into a job. In the job they have to get their paychecks, the paychecks have to increase, they have to get a promotion, after the promotion they have to go to the next level, by this time they are 25 to 27, they have to get married. And by the time they know what it is, they already have one or two children and they're already back into the circus where their parents came from. 
Now I had to put my children through the process of growing up the children between the age of 30 to 50. By the time I'm about 50, my child is ready to get married. And by the time I'm about to retire, they already have got married. I have my grandchildren. I've already finished my cycle without ever getting out of the sustenance needs. This is what Maslow was saying, and this is what exactly happens to us also. Do you want to be an enabler? It's a tough route to take, but extremely fulfilling, extremely nourishing, extremely enjoyable journey. I'm going to cover short-term solutions, about three of them for you to understand as a parent, how you can approach in the short term. When you go out of this session, you need to have a few solutions on hand that you can go back and immediately start using. They always say that I might have a field ready for you to get your grains one year down the line, but at the end of the day, I still have to eat. So I have to give you some, something for you to take home and start practicing. Let's look at the first one, which is again a very interesting uh, concept which uh, can be used by parents. This is a model uh, in behavioral science made uh, famous by Dr. Eric Byrne called as uh, transactional analysis. Dr. Eric Byrne, after a lot of research with uh, adults, parents, corporate executives, children, he found out that irrespective of the age, we all live out of an ego state, according to him. The ego state is the state of existence from which you approach others in your interaction on a day-to-day -day basis. He found out after a lot of study that there are three predominant ego states in which all of us operate. The first one he found out was the parental ego state. A parental ego state typically is, I am at a higher level. Everyone who is interacting with me does not know as much as I know. They are at a lower level than me. Whether it's true or not, this is how I behave. He was not speaking about absolute competence. He was speaking about behavioral competence. How do I behave as a person? If I'm a parent, I look down, period. Whether I look down positively or negatively is the next interpretation. Then he looked at the other end of the spectrum. He found out that the normal behavior, again, please bear in mind, this has nothing to do with your chronological age. This is the mental aspect of your interactions with people with whom you come across in day-to-day -day life. He found out that there are people who behave like children. How do children behave in front of parents or someone who is superior to them or perceived to be superior? They tend to be submissive. They tend to follow either with interest or without interest. This he called as the child ego state. And then he found out something which is a more balanced one, which uh, he found out was very difficult for people to operate. In his study, he found out out of the samples that he studied less than 5% of the people demonstrated consistently adult behavior. And adult behavior, again, is not by age. At the age of 3, you can behave like an adult. At the age of 80, you can behave like a child. Doesn't matter. An adult is one who is able to treat the other person on par. When we did research on this topic to find what is the short-term solution we have to uh, offer, we found out that the parental state that you have, which is sort of a given, you don't have a choice. Your child will always see you as a parent, whether you like it or not as a physical parent, but as a parent ego state. You'll find that there are two parental ego states typically that a person can exhibit. One is called as a critical parent. A critical parent is one who keeps on finding faults with everyone around them saying, you should have done like this. I told you so. You did not study properly and hence you failed. You did this and hence this happened. If you don't do this, I'm going to spank you. If you don't do this, I'm going to take you out of the school. This is a conversation all of us have grown up from our childhood repeatedly for us, even at this age, when you see someone from that behavioral level or when we actually see our parents, this is how we actually think. This because of the consistent behavior that this person has demonstrated towards others, they are seen as a controlling or a critical parent. The other parent which children to great extent love to have around them is called as a nurturing or a nourishing parent. They both do the same roles, whether it's a critical parent or a nourishing parent or a nurturing parent. They do the same roles, but they do it differently. The nurturing parent is the one 
who is able to accept whatever happens, take it in the stride, it's okay, it's fine, things will be all right, you are a good person, this only happened once, it's all right, you will change. Predominantly, these are the people who are supportive, enablers. They still maintain the control over the children, yet, in a very sweet, actually being sweet, not acting, they enable the children by nurturing them, by nurturing their hopes, and giving them that comfort that, with me, you are safe, don't worry. You scored four marks, this is perfectly fine. Life doesn't end today. Go on, let's look at something else. You did not get medicine, it's perfectly fine. Let's look at engineering. Maybe it's, there is something else hidden behind. They're able to nurture and do not allow the children to give up their hope. The children behavior, I am not going to get into because that is not something that we need with our children, but there is one area that you can learn. If you look at the bottom of the picture, you will find something called as a natural child, as one of the states. There are three states that a child has, uh, according to Eric Burns' study. And one of the study he says is being a natural child. A natural child is one who is able to accept whatever happens and is happy. For example, it is playing and a glass breaks. He says, oh, glass broke, beautiful. The sun is able to shine and I'm able to see a lot of colors. They actually see the uh, sunshade of life, the brighter side of life. You can't just put them off. You'll find them, if you have 10 children, two of them you'll find like this, who are always joyful, not forced to join us, but they are joyful. And many a times when a parent is not able to depict the behavior of a nurturing parent, sometimes it makes sense for you to move into a nurturing or rather a... Uh, playing or a natural child. It, it, it's spontaneity that helps. In fact, uh, behavioral scientists have proven that people who are creative in nature work from this state of behavior, natural child. Because for them, everything is wonder. Wow, how did this happen? Why is this so beautiful? Or why is this like this? They are able to see everything in a completely different way. And it is something that he has found over a period of three to six months where repetitive practice you can cultivate. As a parent to be peaceful, one of the short-term solutions for you to go back and find out is step number one, either be a nurturing parent where you continue to give hope without uh, showing overtly what your expectations were. Second is to be a natural child when you just get down to their level, you're able to play with them. Go out and play a game of cricket, go for swimming, go for walk, go for jogging, go for cycling, go for walk, whatever. Just get down to their level of transaction. You will find there is a sudden shift over a period of time. Uh, behavioral scientists have found out that children who have parents working out of either a nurturing parent state or a natural child state get along with their parents far better than the other kind of behaviors. They don't like adult behavior, hence I am not getting into that. The second topic, a short-term solution. It's a huge topic, but I'll just give you two insights for you to understand how to go back and practice. We call it as emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is your ability to use the emotion to balance relationships, nurture relationships. Emotion also comes from two words joined together called energy in motion. Emotion is an energy. It is an energy which is inside us, which propels us to act in different ways, more ways than one. And it is up to you to decide whether, like an atom, power of atom, whether you want to use them destructively or constructively, it's up to you. There are only two insights when it comes to emotional intelligence. As a parent, you'll find it extremely useful. For you to be peaceful and to be emotionally intelligent, there are two states you need to fake it till you actually make it, as they say. State number one. Emotionally intelligent people always look at what next. For example, you're going with your child in a car. There is a flat tire or you met with an accident or whatever. It's a known fact that none of us can unwind and go through the past to have a better result than what exactly had happened. Emotionally intelligent people look at what next. Okay, this has happened, what next? My child has failed the exam. What next? He didn't get placed. What next? He did not come home early enough. What next? Okay. I expected my son or daughter to come home at 7 o'clock. She or he did not turn up. He came at 8.30. Instead of boiling and throwing a fits. Okay, what next? What happened? What next? What can we do? What do we learn from this behavior? 
what can we do best to ensure that enabling point number two when it comes to emotional intelligence it's always said and this is what we practice or teach at heartfulness institute this is what our global guides continuously teaches to be in the here and now when you are in the here and now as a theory extremely easy to talk i can tell you out of experience it's not easy to practice but over a period of time the number of occurrences of not being in the moment can be brought down by conscious practice being in the here and now whatever you can think whatever you can act whatever you can do can only happen in the moment it cannot happen in the past it cannot happen in the future it might affect your future but the action that you take at that point of time exhibiting love exhibiting compassion exhibiting tolerance exhibiting patience accepting cheerfully all that can happen in the moment when i show you the next slide you will understand why the first two ones would relate to the next one that i give you so i looked at two emotional in intelligence competencies we have seen a few competencies in the parent adult uh, child dr eric burns transactional analysis model we look at one more uh, solution in the short term before we move to the long term solution there is a school of uh, study which has repeatedly studied over a period of time and found out that people act or respond based on needs and values and what we see front end is only a smoke screen for example when a child throws a tantrum it's not showing anything else but it may be showing one of the hidden values that he here maybe it doesn't feel accepted maybe it feels threatened maybe it feels insecure my parents are not giving me enough time and hence he throws a tantrum the tantrum is not an emotional outburst but he doesn't know how to communicate so anything that happens with your child or with your adolescent son or daughter if you're able to leave the act out and find out what is the need what is the value that my son or daughter wants to communicate to me which i need to address i have given you a list of values and needs that everybody has in each of the situation can be different it's applicable to people in prison who have done committed murders who have committed decoities who have looted crores and crores of money whatever it may be what you see up front is only a smoke screen if you are able to sit and one of the competency you need to find needs and values is what we call as listening which comes as part of emotional intelligence extremely difficult to do but we teach through the meditative practices what can be done for you to find needs and values you need to listen and to listen there are two competencies that you need the competency name number 1 that you need to listen is your ability to still your mind because when we are listening many a time what happens when i'm saying this doesn't mean that i've already mastered that but at least i know that i'm making sincere efforts to go towards this when you say still your mind normally when someone is interacting with us our mind is rushing to the past in terms of what this person has done in the past why has he or she done this or we are already preparing ourselves to answer the situation hence we are not listening at all simple when we still our mind what happens is we are focusing on the person look at the needs and values why is this person doing this the second competency that you need that our global guides always say is for you to be peaceful suspend prejudice when you are interacting with anyone at any plane irrespective of your past interactions with them which has gone sour suspend prejudice because the 10th or the 11th or the 12th or the 14th or the 17th time they may be doing something which is completely based on something else prejudice typically means judging someone based on your prior knowledge or experience if you walk into a court and you file a case and even before the judge hears you he pronounces you guilty and sentences you to 3 year imprisonment how do you feel you'll say sir you have not even heard me this is what the other person is telling you please hear me out which means whatever has happened in the past set it aside listen to me when you listen to me you will find what is my need and what are my values and why this transaction has happened irrespective of this is where children score much more than the adults up to the age of 8 children more or less do not have prejudice they fight next moment they are up 
and playing with the same kid with whom they fought, whereas the parents will be fighting for the next three days on why your children fought. Children do not have this. Over a period of time, because of the society and the expectations and the pressures we have built this over a period of time. So we looked at three short-term competencies for you to go back and use at the end of the session. One is the parent-adult-child model of transactional analysis of being either a nurturing parent or a natural child. Second, the competence of emotional intelligence where we have learned to be in the here and now and to look at what next. And then looking at needs and values, how to listen, suspending our prejudice, and also seeing if we can still our mind in the process so that we are able to listen to the person fair and square. Now, I'm going to give you this three scenarios which uh, you might have heard partly and might not have heard, which are long-term solutions. And this is where we offer solutions which are really going to be uh, heart-changing or mind-changing, though we do offer solutions at the short-term uh, level also. There are three topics I want you to take cognizance of. The first one that you see here is uh, an emerging scientific topic which a lot of research has happened around the globe, including at Hartfulness Institute, what we call as uh, neuroplasticity. The second that you see is handling amygdala, something which has been haunting us from the time we were uh, the hunted 50,000 years ago. Now we have become the predominant species in the world. And then how to explore practical tips in terms of maintaining a healthy, positive balance at home. At Heartfulness Institute, we have studied at depth to find that neuroplasticity and altering that is one way of looking at a long-term solution. Just to give you an example, if you look at uh, the tree life, you'll find that one of the longest standing trees, life-wise, is a tree called oak tree. The oak tree is capable of staying live anywhere between 400 to 700 years. When they researched this uh, tree, they found out that it has thousands and thousands of roots below the surface of the earth. And not that all the roots are always simultaneously used. The tree has somehow made itself special by knowing when to actually reprogram the roots which are alive and available as compared to roots which are likely to die. Likewise, when you compare the human brain, you'll also find that there are millions and millions of uh, neurological circuits in your uh, brain and many of them are never used throughout our life. By learning to program them, by learning to control them, by learning to regulate them, by learning to take control of them, we can find newer pastures to program our brains in such a way that we can develop what does it actually mean? Neuroplasticity typically means you have been given the gift by nature of being able to develop new habits. Unfortunately, because we refuse to look at the newer circuits available, we actually land up in the graveyard without ever even tapping into these uh, programmable circuits in our brain. And hence, it goes as a waste. Neuroplasticity has been... Uh, found to be extremely effective as a programmable tool for adding or changing behaviors using the process of meditation. This is scientifically proven. You can uh, go and uh, do a Google or there was one magazine that our institute compiled a few months back which has all the details pertaining to neuroplasticity and the science behind it. And now actually meditation plays a great role in actually tapping into this. This is a three-day topic, effectively, but I want you to take cognizance of this as a long-term solution. Go back, study on your own. We also offer tools for you to actually not only study, but program your brain as well. You will find that this is one of the most uh, primordial uh, part of our brain which has been existing before our cortex and neocortex grew. The cortex is this portion of the brain, the neocortex is what exists here. Whereas as part of the uh, primordial brain, at the tip of the brain, just below the skull, you'll find a place called amygdala. You can just put your hand here and feel. The moment you press there, you'll find a blood rush happening. And this was given to us by nature maybe 10, 20, 30, 50,000 years ago when Homo sapiens started coming out. Because in those 
scenarios we were the hunted we were not the hunters which means there were species which are much more powerful than us and they were out to kill us because we were their food and we had to save ourselves to save us even while we are asleep we needed a system which will put us on a high alert mode at a fraction of a second and amygdala's birth was by nature to protect man so that he does not get eaten up those days the average age of human being was less than 25 and it was said that 95% of the human population those days were they did not have a natural death they were just killed because they were the prey for something else unfortunately this amygdala's only work predominantly was fight or flight or maximum freeze as an option when this happens the blood circulation to the rest of the body to the cortex and neocortex is cut off and hence you are unable to think which means when you are put in a situation just to give you a real life example when your child actually comes late they go to a movie or they go to their friends or whatever and they set uh, the juices flowing in your stomach when they come late the first thing that actually puts you off is not the late arrival what puts you off is you have now been questioned by someone who is much much smaller than you someone whom you gave birth to who you brought up they are questioning your existence how dare you come late when i told you to come home early my amygdala takes over unfortunately this is what is called as amygdala hijack in uh, neurological parlance doctors here might know this when it happens anywhere between 40 seconds to about they say even sometimes it can last up to a day the blood flow is going to amygdala where my normal thinking is completely cut off the blood normally bypasses the amygdala flows to your left brain and right brain allows you to think uh, either logically or creatively and bring a wholesome brain experience to the way of living but when it is needed the most the blood supply gets cut off to the most vital part and the blood supply goes to amygdala which is nothing but a way in which it triggers movements to your spine to make you either fight or flight or freeze which means either you fight with your children or if you are afraid of them you run away they actually run away in the process what happens is what could have been a very simple uh, analytical situation becomes a sustenance situation my child has questions my existence and i am reacting without even my knowledge when the amygdala hijack happens it could be because of a fashion trend that my daughter or son is following because of the boyfriend or girlfriend they bring to their house or whatever 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 if you sit and talk to them and actually calm yourself down rather than calming them down you will find that actually they are much more sane normal parlance other than there are cases of substance and other abuses that's a different case in a normal situation they do not actually do things to upset you they do it thinking in their language it's it's cool it's fine i have not done anything wrong after all i have come home now i have not run away when i am coming home i know that i am coming to you where i am secure you are my parent why do you take offense if i didn't want to come home i would have run away long ago hence this amygdala hijack is an issue that you need to handle and meditation scientifically they have proven in the last 14 years there is data available you can do google and find out impact of meditation on amygdala you will find scientific reports they found out through a study of about 50 to 60 people that 30 people who did not do meditation their amygdala continue to be hyperactive and they found out that people who have continuously meditated in one form or another that amygdala has slowed down to an extent where it is now part of literally the primary brain they don't allow the blood flow to happen directly only to the amygdala not allowing it to bypass to the brain this is something that you can go back and explore this is something that i am very sure as a parent all of you would have figured out if you search the net you will find about 500 to 600 answers on positive parenting peaceful parenting is a different topic altogether all of them would point to one simple thing peace and balance at home is much more important than for us to lose the peace for short term gain or control at the end of 50 60 70 80 years of our life when we actually look back at how we brought up our children we may be wondering why did i do something so stupid why did i have to put my foot down so hard that uh, my child actually ran away or they despised today if you watch five out of 10 movies is based on discord that existed between parents or children or between an aunt and a niece or between an uncle and a nephew 
all stories are moved because they don't have the bandwidth to live life peacefully where i am able to allow the other person to let their expectations or enablements of their life to parallelly coexist the key solution to maintaining a balance is to peacefully coexist have periodical conversations with your child before it becomes something bigger nasty surprising one of the thing that we always counsel people is have periodical conversation however uh, short or long that you feel is a good one for example once a week and this conversation is not something official like a, a performance appraisal that you do in a company just go out for a you know cup of coffee go for food sit with them and talk how are things question like that is sufficient it is sufficient to just put your arm around your child many times that is sufficient they will open up these are things that all of you intuitively know in terms of bringing up children in the last about 40 to 45 minutes we have seen what actually are the challenges that today's parents and children face we have also seen in terms of what are the causes that actually is being used to fuel this discord that happens between parents and children we looked at the various expectation from the various stakeholders of the society the parents the teachers the school all of them we looked at the various short term solutions that we have and we also looked at some of the long term solutions okay, now let's look at what heartfulness institute has to offer you as a set of practice by repeatedly meditating it doesn't matter what system of meditation you practice but when you do heartfulness meditation you will find that other than the normal meditation practice we also introduce something called as pranahuti which is an yogic energy which has tremendous uh, spiritual and medical uh, benefits which has been scientifically proven to have on the heart and the brain of every human being through the concept of instant relaxation right from the age of 4 or 5 of children we teach them how to remain calm and peaceful under any kind of situation by giving them commands on their own which are again scientifically proven as to the sequence of the commands that are given you will find that just before they go for an exam it's not that they don't remember what they have studied they are not able to recall and we have found invariably that this inability to recall happens because their mind is agitated because of the tension or the fear or whatever by instantly relaxing whether you are a parent or a child we have found out that you are able to calm down your uh, blood or the bp that you may be having today even you have juvenile bp cases you will find that you are able to calm down and automatically allow what is already present inside of you to surface at the time of examination if you are a parent when your child is out instead of worrying about where they are or what is happening just sit down and relax as they say and it's it's not a simple word of relaxation there is a set process that we are going to teach you at the end of this session we also teach you to meditate whether you want to meditate in the morning in the afternoon in the evening whenever something uh, is going to disturb you to allow you to have at any given point of time the ability to connect to a higher source and find a larger scheme of existence is present so the smaller issues fade away in spite of that if something happens to you where you are agitated we introduce and teach you the concept of cleaning or rejuvenation this is a very simple method in which the way in which in case a sauce falls on your dress you take water and instantly clean likewise we teach you how when you are agitated when something upsets you when something makes you emotionally imbalanced how to bring that balance back at that moment instead of waiting for it to uh, no sort of die down on your own this is one of the biggest benefits of uh, keeping your amygdala cool whenever your blood surface blood uh, no sort of pressure is going up just sit down and do what we call a spot uh, cleaning you will find that automatically you are able to bring down the senses to a level of calmness and if all this fails all of us know one thing we all connect to a higher source whenever something that we do does not help us to solve the issue through the process of uh, prayer that we teach in uh, heartfulness practitioners practice 
we show you how at any point of time when something apparently is going out of hands how you can connect to a larger uh, source a larger power which can in some way help me to overcome what i am currently going through maybe a grief maybe a challenge which uh, i am not able to solve intellectually or emotionally connect to something large and wait for something to unfold these are the simple practices that you offer by doing them repeatedly over a period of time science has proven that now spirituality is more a science than science being spiritual we have shown that a lot can be explored from the inner universe how you can actually help your children to unleash the true potential without losing your calm without letting go of your expectations by repackaging it as an enabling force for your children there's a lot much more that we can do i would request and urge that each one of you to go through the practices that you are going to give at the end of this session i'll be concluding this session with a very poignant and very pertinent powerful message from our global guide we he is known as kamlesh t patel fondly called as daji there will be a short video with which i will be closing this session and i will be available offline after the relaxation and meditation session that we are going to do and uh, i would like to thank this institution for allowing us to present this topic to you today i hope you found uh, enough inputs for you to go back and practice please watch this video as we wind down this program thank you Once a child, that child become adult, and now he is married. He or she has his own life. Don't interfere. When they come, be the best you can be. Give the best you can. But you can't interfere. You can't nag them. You must do this. You must not do that. That is over. Don't give them the chance to say you are stupid. And we have to be ahead of children at technological level, at knowledge level. You see, we stop learning things. That's why when children are able to say, "Oh, you don't even know this," it's our fault. I must. At least I must have some idea about certain things in life. I cannot insulate myself from the things which are happening in in a better and better way. See, changing of trends need not always be bad. They can be very ennobling. Now it has become freer and freer, much freer society, I would say. But we are paying a price for it. we are having a war i mean there is so much of uh, boiling happening mixing happening like never before i don't think there was ever a period in the history of human race what is happening today is very really unique extremely unique extremely intense changes are taking place at good level there are intense changes bad level also there are intense changes and we must help our children to go in that direction see sometimes they would make mistakes you are watching yes but don't let them go too far keep on showing them cautious cautiously this can happen but not by becoming negative and when they realize that yes my mom or my papa said but i didn't listen and when such thing happens few times then they will have more confidence as yes they are more experienced than myself now it's time to listen see this can happen only when we give the freedom to them to do certain things let them make mistakes let them understand that i warned them yet they did it and slowly they will have more confidence that is yes, 
they cannot be wrong. Of course, it's not always universal. Exceptions are always there in life situations. But by and large, the respect will be greater when we don't interfere. We have to be very interact. We have to play our role in such a way that they don't feel that we are influencing them in any way. And this art is very tricky, very, very tricky. So you have to be careful. Always be guided by your heart. When you meditate, you'll get the guidance. This is what I should be doing. This is what I should be doing or not doing.